Please turn in your Bible to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. How many of you have heard of the Chupacabra? How many of you have ever seen one? We don't know who we are. There's a lot of guessing and speculation that goes into our relationship with the Lord, how this thing works. What are we supposed to do? What are we not supposed to do? There's a lot and we don't understand what or who we actually are. And so today, we are moving into uh, the second phase of Who Am I? Part 2. As we continue our uh, study on the exchange life, today we're going to be discussing uh, who the Bible says we are, how that affects us, and how we walk in who we are. So, who we actually are, how that affects us, and then how we walk because of that. And so we're going to begin in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 2, which says, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified by Christ Jesus, saints by calling, with all who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, I thank you that your word is truth, and we can rely on it, that we can listen to you, we can follow after you, we can submit to it. And Father, that we have no doubt that what it says is absolutely 100% the truth. And so Father, today as we travel through these verses, I pray that you speak to us. Ask you to help us to understand who we actually are. And how that changes us and then how we live based upon that. And so Father, I thank you for all that you've done. I thank you for what you're doing in these moments. And I thank you for who we really are in Christ. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Most of the time, as Christians, we kind of see ourselves as forgiven sinners or folks that were in need of the grace of God who have received that, and therefore, now that we receive that, we serve Him out of gratitude and thanks, and we owe Him everything. And there's some truth in there. 
The problem is, is that we use those things as our source instead of the Holy Spirit as our source. The Holy Spirit leads us into those things. And so, not understanding who we are or believing that we're just kind of eking out in existence as a Christian or we're just surviving, we're just trying to survive with God's help. And God doesn't call us to survivorship. This isn't survivor the game. This is victory, the end zone. The game is over, and we're still trying to play the game when the game is over. Instead of realizing, celebrating the victory. This morning we read in Acts how that there was 3,000 ads and they were being added to them daily, and part of the key of that was that they had joy. Christians today don't walk in joy. We walk beaten down, worn out, praying that God will somehow scrape us through. And that's not what God's called us to. Man, I remember when I first got saved, I, I would have taken on hell with a water pistol. I was ready, man. It was life was exciting. I was I was ready. Send somebody I can tell them. And then life sets in. And disillusionment with God creeps in there and say, well, how come God didn't do that? And that one phrase has undermined our joy more than anything that we face. And so we have to be careful that we don't walk based on a false identity. We're told here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 2 that we're saints. You are a saint. You are not a sinner. You are not a sinner any longer if you are a Christian. Listen, your saintliness, it's a mark word, I think. Your saintliness is not a result of your behavior. According to these verses, you are set apart by calling. We're set apart by calling. When Jesus Christ called us to himself, he set us apart. Well, but pastor, I still sin sometimes. Or, Pastor, I still sin a lot. What you do does not make you a sinner. It's so funny because we have, we have a double standard as Christians. We think when we sin that that makes us a sinner. But when we do righteous things, then we still fall short. We receive the one in whole and the other we're still trying if behavior makes you what you are, then you would be a saint sometimes and a sinner sometimes, right? We would change based upon behavior. It's not the sum total of your life. Jesus called you a saint. And you know, Christians in the New Testament are called saints 62 times. And you know how many times they're called sinners? Zero. Not one time. But what about the song? The song lied to you. The song lied to you. Truth is truth, and it's always truth. And we submit to it. If I say something that doesn't line up the Bible, who's right? God's word is right. I'm wrong. And so it tells us here who we are. And who we are is we're saints. Do you see yourself that way? 
When you walk through life, do you see yourself as St. Tom or St. Billy or St. Andrea or St. Dwayne? Because, see, if we're still sinners, then that gives us room to go ahead and say, well, I'm a sinner, I'm just going to have to do that. It's just part of who I am. Well, we're going to sin. We're always going to sin. You ever say that to yourself? The Bible says that we have the ability to walk in the Spirit, right? Do we have the ability to walk in the Spirit? Yes or no? Yes. When we walk in the Spirit, if I'm walking in the Spirit of God, can I sin when I'm doing that? No. So if I have the ability to walk in the Spirit of God, if I truly am being set free from all my sin, then... I am not going to always sin. It is not a choice that has already been set out for me. You can say, no. Didn't Jesus said that I gave you power over sin and death? And if I have power over that, means it's an option. You are not always going to sin. The enemy laces our mind with that. We suck it in and believe it, and we say, well, it's just going to happen anyway, so I may as well do it. Because if I have to do it, and if it's going to happen anyway, then I have no power over it. But I'm not a sinner anymore. I'm a saint. According to these verses. Ephesians 2, 10 says this. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. You are a work of art. You're a work of art. The workmanship of the very hand of God. Some of you are going to have been in his training stage. <laughs> but that's not true. He made you exactly the way you are. But I've got all these weaknesses. That's fantastic. That's not what he's working on me. That's what he's, we surrender our weakness. Why don't you surrender your strength to God? He gave you those too. What are you really good at? Instead of finding confidence in yourself, why don't you give that to him who gave it to you to use for him? <clears throat> You're not a mistake. You're not a problem. You're not something that God has to put up with. You have been shaken in a beautiful way to represent the beauty and majesty of God. Well, you obviously don't know me. I would propose that maybe you don't know me. Maybe sometimes I don't know me. You're a workman. You're a, you're a workmanship of God. You're a work of art. It's a beautiful way. God, see, God shapes us for issue. Well, you don't understand all the bad things and the horrible things I've gone through, the dumb things I've done, the decisions I've made, or what I said last night, or what I said in the car coming up here this morning. None of that matters. God takes all that and uses that for his glory. 
What if God is handing you the key to unlock somebody's heart by letting you go through something? If you knew that in advance, would you be willing to go through it? That's one we have to think on, right? But I will tell you this, that the things that happen in our lives, the things that they go on, the difficult things, they do unlock the heart of somebody else. When somebody comes to you and you're going through a hard time and you're wondering where God is and somebody comes along and says, I've been through that. I know, and this is what God did for me. You know, I got thinking about something this past week. A question had been proposed to me <coughs> of resistance not being an evidence of the hand of God. You know, as I, as I began to study that, I began to look at all the people that came in God's Word to do God's Word. Well, David, he ran into the caves. They were trying to kill him. We look at some of the apostles and Peter facing persecution. Paul, when he went on the missionary journeys, how he was stoned. Well, wait a minute, I'm not here doing God's will. I'm getting stoned for this? I'm going to stand for God and get stoned and facing resistance. Jesus came for us and they killed him. Resistance is evidence of the hand of God. You show me one person that God used that was willing to use that didn't face some difficulty because of their decision to fall. Even Abraham struggled with it. His father was dying. His God came to him in the moments his father was dying, saying he needed to get up and go. He's like, wait a minute, I need to be here with my dad. But God gave him a command to go. So took his dad with him. Person after person after person throughout scripture faced difficulty and trial in walking with the Lord. Because there is spiritual resistance when we do what God wants us to do. And understanding that you are being created for good works, for ministry, for the things that God has laid out for you from the foundation of the world is the beginning of understanding who you are. The Bible says in Romans 5.17, For by the transgression of one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift, excuse me, of righteousness will reign in the life through the one, Jesus Christ. So you have been made righteous. You are righteous. You don't have to do anything anymore to be righteous. You are righteous. You stand righteous. There's a lot of false theories out there about righteousness, and we're going to explore those next week. Well, I'm positionally righteous. I'm not actually righteous. Let me ask you this. Are you, were you actually a sinner when you were born? Yes or no? Yeah. Because we were in Adam. We were actually sinners. We have no problem accepting the fact that we were sinners. But we have a problem when we're placed into Christ now, accepting the fact that we are actually 100% righteous. And it all goes to behavior. In the same 
parallel, he uses them as parallel thoughts here in the scripture. If this is true, and it's 100% true, it has to also be 100% true when you're in Christ. So you're actually right. Right now, you stand righteous. There is nothing God has against you. Is that a hard one for anybody to swallow? And it's behavior related, right? Did Jesus forgive all your sin? Has it been removed as far as the east is from the west? Never be seen by God again. So then who's bringing that into your mind? And why would we give the enemy place to keep us from doing everything God called us to? See, we don't know who we are, and we live based upon these other things. You, ladies and gentlemen, if you are a child of God, are 100% righteous in Jesus Christ. You are free from all this other. Don't compromise the truth of who you are. The Bible says you're all so holy. Also, not all so holy. Also holy. 1 Corinthians 3, 17. Listen to what God said about you. If any man destroys the temple, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy. And that is what you are. That is what you are. You know, can you see God dwelling in some old busted down shack that's barely there with a little five mile an hour wind? Are you worried that's going to fall over? You ever seen those buildings that are standing there starting to lean the way the wind normally blows? How many of you have ever sat through a study in the tabernacle of the temple? Okay, we need to do that. The, anybody ever read Leviticus? Anybody ever start Leviticus? <laughs> As he goes through and he lays all this out in all this detail and how the rings are this size, they have to be covered with gold, and you gotta do this, and you gotta make the sea pot, and you gotta bring the, you know, the linens, and you gotta the tents, and the poles have to be this way, and it have to be this long and this high, and all this. And he goes through this whole thing, and it's like, oh, why are you doing all that? Because that is a picture of you. And when he saves you, he makes you acceptable for him to indwell. I want to read the verse again. Y'all look at me. You give me that glaze look. Either that or it's the food. First Corinthians 3. If any man destroys the temple, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, and that is what you are. This is who you are, ladies and gentlemen. There's a little voice inside of you going, well, I'm not that holy. Anybody hearing that voice? Well, but you don't know. You don't know what I did or what I thought or what I said. You don't know that word that slipped out when someone so made me mad. What if I were to tell you that does not make you unholy? Now, I'm not encouraging you. 
But our holiness is not based on behavior. We don't maintain it. It's a gift. And so you're holy. Let me ask you this. If for just a moment you were to concede the fact that this is true, we all said God's word is truth and we need to submit to it. If you were to concede the fact that this is true, would it change how you see yourself today? You're holy. I have more good news for you. Ephesians 1 6 tells us that we're accepted. To the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed upon us in the Beloved. It's bestowed upon us. We're accepted. We're not rejected in Him. We're in the Beloved. You're in. You're in the in crowd with God. Watch this. Let me give you one more verse on this subject. 1 Corinthians 6.17 says, But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. The one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit. We are one with Christ. Jesus even prayed about it in John 17. That they may be one with us, Father, as you and I are one with each other. The same fellowship that Jesus Christ shares with the Father, we share with Jesus Christ. We are one. And remember we talked last week about who we are, that we are spirit. Look what he calls us here. Spirit. We are, definition, are, by definition, one spirit. We are united with him. It's not just something like he throws a rope around us and he's got us now like these, these child leashes we see out there. Oh, you got me. You got so far. You pull me back. You don't see those kid leashes? Go to the amusement parks. They're everywhere. Whoop! Give them 20 feet so they can't escape. That's not how God works with us. We're one with Him. We are one with Him. And so, the Bible tells us that that's who we are. We're a saint. We're a work of art. We're righteous, holy, accepted, and one with Him. Listen. We are more than rescue, folks. We are more than rescue. How many of you, when you make a mistake or do something wrong, have this voice that condemns you and tells you how terrible you are? Anybody here beside me? Let me tell you something. That's the voice of the enemy. But we receive it as our own voice or the voice of God, which is, that's what he would love for you to do. Man, if I could speak for God and I could mislead you that way, I've I got unfettered access to your heart. When God brings conviction over what we do, he shows us 
the grace and mercy and love that draws us so we don't miss out on what he has next for us. Not beats us down so that we feel so terrible we don't even want to show our face to participate in those things. That's not how God works. That goes to Romans 8, chapter 1, or 8, chapter 8, verse 1, sorry. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So what does this do for us if we grasp this aspect? If you go out, you all said that God's word is true, and some of you are doubting it, maybe, but if you doubt these things, you're going to have trouble. You know, same problem you've had. But if we accept them, what does that do for us? 2 Peter 1, verses 1 through 4 says this. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ, seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence, for by these He has granted us His precious and magnificent promises so that by them we may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the, corrupt, the corruption that is in the world by lust. That's huge. So he did all this. He made you a saint. He made you righteous and holy. He did all that so that he could give us everything pertaining to life and godliness. But it comes through the true knowledge of Him. See, if we try to pursue life and godliness apart from knowing Him and walking with Him and enjoying Him and understanding what He's doing, what He is up to, we will not find it. Because it's only found through the true knowledge of Him. I can't know what I'm supposed to do in an hour if I don't listen. I can't understand the character and nature of the divine nature if I don't know Him. If I don't spend the time to get to know Him and walk with Him. So as we discover, as we seek Him, we discover the life He gave us. That's why He says, seek ye first. The things of God. Seek God first. And all these things are added. We've all heard that verse. But maybe never seen it in this context. We go, well, if we just put it first in life, he takes care of everything. But it's insight. It's sensitivity. It's reading other people sometimes. Because he's going to use you in those circumstances. It's hearing his voice. And him preparing your heart, maybe you're going through something difficult. You know, I'm, here, I'm going to confess. I've been facing some difficulty on some things. And I had a friend, and I, have a, I struggle a little bit to pray for things that are for me, that, have any, that I can benefit from at all. It's I just struggle with it. Even if it's all for God, it's still I struggle. 
And so I hadn't been praying about the thing I was having difficulty with. And my friend took me aside and prayed for me. I prayed for him about something too, which was a lot easier. <laughs> and I had a meeting this week, and it could not have gone better. And I prayed, and I said, God, why did that go so good? He said, because you prayed about it. I know the struggle, because I go through it. So I'm going to start praying, and I'm going to pray about my apprehension to pray. This is my confession. I don't got this right, but I know what is right. See, the more that you know him in this, the more you discover who you are. Because if we're partakers of the divine nature, when I know him, I'm learning about myself too. You think you know who you are, but you don't. Me too. Me too. I'm better with you than I realized. <laughs> There might be some dissenting opinions in the congregation on that one. But we learn who we really are. See, he sought to give us these precious and magnificent promises as part of our salvation so we can partake in the divine nature. See, you have a new nature. Well, it's just my nature to do this. Just my, it's my sin nature. You don't have a sin nature anymore. If you're saved, you don't have one. You no longer have a sin nature. Well, then why do I still sin? Because you have a corrupt, broken down flesh that leads you to do things and it's got coping patterns that your old man taught it before God saved you and removed it that you still rely on. And you have an enemy that lies in your mind and we believe the things about ourselves and about that, our experience, because they're an experience. We will believe our experiences sometimes give them more weight than the Word of God himself. Itself. And so we have to be careful that we don't do that. See, he changed us so we could interact and participate with him. So we could live the life. That's the benefit he did all this so we could be with him. And we're still doing what Eve did and Adam did in the garden. We're hiding from him. Well, he's going to see this. He's going to see, you know, if I go out there and I put it all out there, I'm afraid because he's going to address this part of my life that I'm not proud of. And so we hide from God. You realize how ridiculous you are? You're saying that God can't see that if you don't go and just admit it and show it to him. He already sees it. You're not hiding anything from God. You know, as kids, we think we can hide stuff from our parents. On occasion, we're successful. But not often. Now, parents, how many of you that are ready to dole out punishment, dole it out if your kid tries to hide it from you and say, no, I love me, I love me, I love me. That's when it comes harder, right? But if your child comes, if you ask them who broke the lamp, and they knew they weren't supposed to be kicking the ball in the house, 
and they, and they say, Mom, Dad, I did. I was kicking the ball. You told me not to. I did it anyway. I'm sorry. It changes it, doesn't it? Doesn't it endear your relationship? So we know that as parents, but why would why do we think God would be worse to us? God's going to be better than we could ever be to our kids. We paint, the enemy wants to paint him as an evil ogre. And we're going to address that too in this series about God may be different than you think he is. We know it as parents, but it's true here with, the, with God too. Just tell him. You know, there's a verse that says, if you confess your sin to one another, you will be healed. There's something about saying it out that makes it go away. Because the enemy works in the shadows, not in the light. Because what does the light do? It casts out darkness. That's how it works. And so we see who we are, and we see what that did for us. But how are we supposed to walk in that? He created this... <laughs> When he says salvation is not heaven, heaven's the destination. Salvation is life with Christ in God. And so, how do we walk in that? Colossians three, verses one through four, says this. Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ. Keep seeking the things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. And so, how many of you ever heard that? Seek things above. Seek, seek Christ. Oh, yeah, that's nice. What does that mean? We've all heard that. We would all agree with it. Well, let's get a little, let's talk about some specifics. Seek things above. Do you know who he is? I think there's seven omnis. Can you list them all? You know any of them? Not the hotel. Most of us can probably do three, two or three. So there's a majority that we don't know. Do you know some of the character and attributes of God? Have you studied that? Have you seen it demonstrated in Scripture? Do you enjoy getting to know Him? You know, we enjoy people and getting to know them and find out what they've done and their experiences and all that. God's experiences are written down for us. With His people, as they interacted with Him. Have you read about the people who were resistant to him but kind of wanted to fall, follow him but not really follow him, who wanted to do something great for him and they were disobedient as they were trying to do something with a good heart, like the man who caught the ark when it was falling? You could even maybe even throw Saul into that category. Right? Did he take this of the spoils to be a blessing? Not selfishness. But it was disobedience. And he lost the throne because of it. So good intent doesn't mean the will of God. Just because your intent is right, well, God, doesn't God judge from the heart? He does. He absolutely does. 
But it's when the heart is obedient to Him that He's glorified. You know, I asked a missionary once, and I was so disappointed in his answer at the time, because I was so immature at the time. <laughs> I asked him, you know, he had, God was just really using this guy. And I said, if you could give me one thing, just in one word, what's the key to victory in a Christian life and doing everything God's called you to do? And he looked at me, kind of gave me a little half grin. This guy's name was Steve. And he said, obedience. And I was like, obedience. That doesn't help. <laughs> you know, I wanted some secret. The funny thing is, that really is the secret. But we think of, you know why, you know why we associate obedience with negative? Because it doesn't ever come up unless we don't want to obey. Right? You need to obey me, little girl, and you'll clean your room. You hear me? When we do something good, we don't go, I appreciate your obedience in doing that. We don't ever hear that. Do you realize, I'm going to talk to the kids here for just a second. I want all of you to look at me. you realize when you obey your parents, you get the covering of your parents. And if what they told you to do was wrong, they're going to protect you. That's a safe place to be. Because I know some of your parents. <laughs> when we obey God, we get the covering of God as well. Who He is. What He cares about. What are the things that God cares the most about? Do you know the things that God hates? You ever read that verse? Did y'all even know it was in there? These seven things do I hate? A problem, a lying tongue. The Lord loves. A cheerful giver. The Lord loves his children. There's several. Why don't you do that? Why don't you pull, pull a Bible gateway if you or if you don't have a, a strong support at home, and point in there, God loves, God hates. Do a study on it. Seek Him. What He cares about. What His Word means. Have you ever contemplated that? I was sharing, I'm going to share this with y'all so y'all have something to talk about over lunch. Um, I had a friend, and I've, I've had a, a known for 20 almost 30 years now. And we were out, out at my house and we were talking about who actually sinned in the garden. Was it Adam or Eve? Because the command came to Adam and Eve came out of Adam. So when Eve sinned, or did she sin, did it apply immediately to Adam when that happened? If she was from Adam? It's a great question. And so we begin to talk about questions of Scripture and how they apply and things like that's fellowship, folks. We're to encourage each other into a deeper walk with Christ. It's your responsibility. And you know what? The only reason that came up is because he had contemplated the question. And then it brought up things I had contemplated. We began to talk about scripture and verses that apply. And is there enough evidence or is there not enough? Is this just a curiosity? It changes. 
how we interact. And so we need to know what his word actually means, not just what makes us comfortable. Seek things above, learning to hear when the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. I used to sit where you sit, and I used to struggle with that. How come I'm not hearing the voice of the Spirit? How many of you have shared that prayer with the Lord? Lord, here's your, here would be your prayer. I'm not telling you to pray, but here's how I would have prayed. Lord, you said your sheep hear your voice. I know that I'm saved, but I don't hear your voice. Why is that? Are you asking? I promise you, if you go with, it, with it, an honest heart before God and ask that question, You'll get it, I promise you. You mark it down. If your heart is honest, not some kind of trick to make that talk. Because he's trying to talk to you. And so we, this is where we need to spend our... That's just under the phrase, seek things above. Set your heart on things above. See, our thought life matters here, folks. He says, set your mind on the things above. We're seeking and setting. Your thought life matters. How often do you contemplate Christ in the things of God versus how to make your life here better? You know, if I need this, if I invest this way, if I do these things, you know, I need to get this, I need to get that out there. How often do we contemplate the things of God versus the things of life? It says right here to set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. Where is your mind set? But you don't understand. What if God asked you to write a check to him for every penny you have, including all your retirement accounts, and you were cleaned out? Let me ask you this question. Could God take care of you? <laughs> we all know the answer. We don't want to give it because we're afraid he might tell us to do that. <laughs> Isn't that what we're supposed to be? Completely surrendered, all of it? Are we just playing a game? Is it just a joke? When does it cost you? When does it cost me? See, the church today is talking about all that God has done for them. As his children, we're ambassadors. We go represent him. And in his power and his strength, I'm going to tell you what God's done for you. He died for you. And we die for him right back. Out of joy. So our life is revealed when Christ is revealed. See, as we reveal Christ, that is our life. You don't find your life apart from that. It's not that it exists. Remember the trees? We started in the trees. Which one had life in it? The tree of life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's no life apart from him. There's no life apart coming out and just making it happen. 
And doing the thing to survive each and every day is not life. It's gusto. <laughs> That's not life. Life is when you're sitting there in the moment and God begins to reveal things about himself to you. Life is there when you're sitting there with a friend and you start to discern that there's an issue going on. And you say, look, I don't know what's going on, but I just sense that there's something wrong. And I'm here for you. And they start to open up. Life is in the moment when you're sitting there and they said nothing, but God says to you, share Christ. Ask them if they want to be saved. And you say, hey, have you ever thought about turning your life over to Christ? And they say, that's so strange. I was just sitting here thinking about that. That's life, folks. Having all the dollars figured out, having a safe place, and all, that ain't the answer. Jesus said the Son of Man doesn't have anywhere to lay his head. Jesus didn't even worry about that. Yet we are. And we think he's abandoned us and we need God. <laughs> if that's true, then the Father abandoned him too. So if we're going to live our life based upon who we are, there's a couple things that we have to realize. Part of the reason we're not experiencing Christ in our life is because we're seeking the wrong things. And we're wanting God to help us do that. He's not going to help you do that. And you want to blame Him when it doesn't work out. Listen. We need to want to know how to be godly instead of just living godly. Okay? There's a difference in being and doing. And godly already. Now it's time to line my behavior with doing it. Let's not seek the wrong things. We need to seek Him. Two, we need to stop trying to become and start living based upon who God says we are. This will change the things that you're doing, seeking, and understanding. If I accept this as truth, and I walk into this life and into this world knowing that I'm a saint, I'm righteous, I'm holy, does that change how I interact with that's conscious on my mind? Absolutely, it has to. So if I believe the right things, the correct behavior comes. Behavior always follows belief. If you believe you can't walk, you won't try. Why try? I can't do it. Right? Three. God saved you, not just to rescue you from your sin, but to give you new life in Christ so you can experience it with Him and join Him in His work. That's the gift of salvation, folks. That's the gift. I have never known, I mean, we're his children. I've never known a kid to not unwrap a present on Christmas Day. Well, I'm just not going to unwrap that. It's the only day of the year you don't have, you're not up before your kids. They wake you up that day. They can get up at 5 in the morning on Christmas morning. It's all, it's all motivation. You know what, kids, you're in big trouble now because now we know you can do it with the right motivation. 
It's all motivation. It's all heart. You know, I was uh, read this interesting story this week about a guy named James Stewart. They called him the English, they called him, he was also known as English Jim. Anybody ever heard of him? This is very interesting. I was like, what? This was in the, he was infamous in California, the California outlaw, active between 1840 and 1850. Well, in December of, of 1850, he was arrested for murdering and robbing a sheriff of about four grand. He escaped from detention, was rearrested in February and the following year. This time, he was sentenced to 14 years later for the death of killing the sheriff. Now, Stewart, James Stewart, not the guy from It's a Wonderful Life, uh, denied the allegations leveled against him because he was not because he was afraid of owning up. He denied them because he was innocent in an unfortunate lookalike for Thomas Burbage. So watch how this plays out. And one of the most, they, this is how the story wrote. In one of the most bizarre coincidences ever, Burdue had an incomplete left forefinger and a scar across his left eye and ear and they match Stewart's. They looked alike. They had the same scars and missing fingers. The only reason Burdue was not executed was because the execution was, proposed, was postponed several times. His problems came to an end when the real Stewart was arrested after a failed ship robbery in 1851, a year later. Stewart never denied his crimes and was executed within two hours after sentencing. Burdu was released from prison and given two grand for his trouble. Later he left California after the incident. If you don't know who you are, and not only could, but will cost you your life. Absolutely the truth here. If we do not know who we are in Christ, it will cost us the life that Jesus died to give us. We can protest all we want, but the truth is true. And the enemy has been working on us since day one to try to undermine and destroy what God did when he saved us and what Jesus did on the cross. And the question for all of us today is this. Are we willing to accept what God's word says and are we willing to live based upon it? And if so, what does that mean for us going forward? What does that mean? And are you willing to start engaging him you may be sitting here going, I've never engaged him. Now's your time. Here's your chance. I'm going to ask everybody to bow their head and close their eyes.